what's that song that's like, I, I smell sex and candy, you know? <laughs> no, um, could you just try again? Welcome back to Trust Issues. I'm Sydney, here with Heidi. Hey, Hello. Heidi. Hey. Hey. How are you doing? Good. <laughs> so good. I'm really good. Yeah, you seem very normal yeah. and fine. <laughs> Having a normal one. Yep. Um, so remember how a month ago you did a podcast episode about Bigfoot? Uh-huh. Do you know what Bigfoot is? Like what it's technically called? What type of thing it's technically called? Crypto. <laughs> something. So, isn't the study of Sasquatch cryptozoology or something? Yeah. So, so, so Sasquatch is known as a cryptid. Oh, cryptid. Yeah, not That's crypto. So now that you say it. No, no. It was you were on the right track with yeah, crypto. Right on the right track. Uh huh. Um. So it turns out that Sasquatch is not the only cryptid in the United States. Ooh. In fact, there's a list of cryptids (laughs) on Wikipedia, and after playing an abnormal amount of Stardew Valley one night, I found myself on the Wikipedia page for cryptids, and I became particularly invested in one. Okay. Well, okay. How'd you get from Stardew Valley to cryptids? I was fake animals, you know? Okay. Okay. I don't know. You know that I fall into weird, like, online holes. I know. And can't get myself out. (laughs) Okay. I want to tell you about a cryptid known as the Snallygaster. What? <laughs> have you ever heard about the Snallygaster? No, I certainly have not. Well, neither have I because I didn't grow up in Northern Maryland. <laughs> <laughs> neither did I. <laughs> well, let me tell you about this. All right. And I think, I think you're going to find some parallels okay. to today. I think this is a moral fable and we're all going to be better for it. Okay, great. I think we need that right now. Totally. So the Snallygaster is derived from a German term, Schnellgeist. German settlers um, settled in northern Maryland in what is now Frederick County, and they brought with them tales from the old country. They told stories about a winged beast that swooped down and stole chickens and children. And that was called the Schnellgeist, which means quick ghost or fast ghost. So the Schnellgeist was like a... A poltergeist that could move stuff around and really didn't like those chickens and children. By the way, I should note that I'm relying on a handful of books for this. One of them is Haunted Maryland, Ghosts and Strange Phenomena of the Old Line State by Ed Okonowitz. The other one is Snallygaster, The Lost Legend of Frederick County by Patrick Boyton. Uh, Mysteries and Lore of Western Maryland by Susan Fair. And there's one more, but I'll get to it. Wow. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of specific books about the history of Maryland. Yeah. Well, I mean, DC is in, is like kind of there, so people are like really obsessed with it and they yeah. think that they matter. Um anyway. <laughs> so, okay. all right, Maryland. So the Germans were there hanging out with their Schnellgeist. In 1909, though, Schnellgeist breaks through to the mainstream because a newspaper picks up the story. The Middletown Valley Register in 1909 
wrote a story about a man named Bill Grifferson who was taking a walk one day and got attacked by a flying monster who carried to him, him to a hill and sucked his blood through its beak and then threw his bloodless bl- body away. What? Yes. The creature was described as something with four legs, with claws like steel hooks, and one eye in the middle of its forehead. It had big wings and screech that sounded like a train whistle. And when it was sucking Bill Grifferson dry, it was flapping its wings. So you ever see hummingbirds at hummingbird feeders? Okay. Yeah, like that. So it was like... Okay. <laughs> um, so after this story came out, there was another report from Hagerstown, Maryland. George Jacobs shot at what he thought was a strange flying creature, but the bullet bounced off. And then the creature turned around and chased him. Oh, fuck. Okay. The next night, someone named Augustus Ruthroff claimed that he saw the creature, but it had hoofs and a thick tail like a dragon. Okay. (laughs) Suddenly, the fucking Shepherdstown Register in West Virginia was reporting the presence of a Snallygaster, and it reported that the beast was seen on some cliffs. The Hagerstown Mail, so back in Hagerstown, Maryland, reported a sighting on a railroad bridge. But um, the Middletown Valley Register, so the initial source of these reports, they one-upped the original report of the Snallygaster. They moved the story forward because they cited an anonymous source, a gentleman from the southern part of the valley, who said that the beast had laid an egg in the mountains. This egg was reportedly as big as a barrel. Okay. (laughs) But the Hagerstown Mail was not to be outdone. Um... They published this, and I quote, From descriptions sent to the Smithsonian Institute at Washington, they write back that it is either a winged bovulopus or a snallygaster, as it has some of the characteristics of both. These animals are extremely rare, and the hide of the snallygaster is said to be worth $100,000 a square foot, as it is the only thing known that will properly polish punkle shells used by Africans of Umbopland for ornaments. Telegrams and letters are pouring in from naturalists and a strict watch is being kept to try and locate its den or roosts. <laughs> so this is... With this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just move right past that. That was from the Hagerstown Mail in 1909. Okay. Um, and I found this excerpt in one of the books I was reading and the author of that book uh, points out that the word bovulopus doesn't exist. It's okay. just something that like the reporter or newspaper editor made up. I was going to ask after recording, like, am I the only person who didn't know what that word is? No. Also, okay. umbopland doesn't exist. <laughs> okay. Very so, cool. So it's like very evident that this community paper was just making shit up. Um, but the Middletown Valley Register was not to be outdone once again. On February 12, 1909, they printed that the government was going to send a troop of soldiers with Gatling guns to kill the Snallygaster. They claimed that President Teddy Roosevelt himself wanted to capture it alive and postponed a trip to Africa until it was captured. So yeah, newspapers kept running with the Snallygaster story. It went as far as Ohio. There was a man named T.C. Harbaugh who claimed he saw it coming from Ohio towards Maryland. Um, He claimed that it passed over his house. Um, And the Cumberland Times in Ohio reported that there was a man who was working at a brick kiln 
and a snallygaster came and sat on the edge of a well and started sucking up all the water um, and said, my, I'm dry. I haven't had a good drink since I was killed in the Battle of Chickamauga. So it was talking English now. Yeah. Okay. And Chickamauga was uh, a battleground in the Civil War. Okay. So apparently the snallygaster was embodied by the spirit (laughs) of a dead Union soldier. Sure. Okay. Um, Someone spoke to the Middle Valley Register and claimed that a snallygaster sucked up his pond and ate all his goldfish. Okay. But um, in 1909, the snallygaster stories come to an end when there's a story that comes out in the Emmitsburg Chronicle saying that a snallygaster went to where people were working on the railroad and he ate up a bunch of coal and spit fire and grabbed a railroad employee by the suspenders and got into like a rough and tumble kapow kapow action scene with some railroad employees. And then the local sheriff ordered the snallygaster out of the county and the snallygaster left. <laughs> okay, that was uh, not the ending I was expecting. Yeah, so the snallygaster disappears Okay, for 23 years. Oh, okay. Until it reappears in 1932. And then the Middletown Valley Register strikes again. <laughs> so there's so there are a bunch of sightings reported in newspapers, and the Middletown Valley Register reports that the Snallygaster, perhaps the offspring of the earlier Snallygaster, oh, we're talking about that egg, sure, remember? Yeah. Yep. Wanted to get barrel. Yeah. Wanted to get drunk. But this was during Prohibition. So the Snallygaster went to a moonshine producer and fell into a 2,500-gallon vat of mash after getting drowsy from the fumes. And the Middletown Valley <laughs> Register then reported two agents were on the scene, one of them a sheriff's deputy, and they discovered the Snallygaster's skeleton, which had been dissolved in, like, the vat of moonshine. <laughs> okay. And th- so they cited a, a police officer saying this? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So either like, and well, one was a police officer, one was a prohibition agent. Okay. So this is why you can't quote what police officers yeah, say can't trust as cops. fact. Cops. Can't trust it. <laughs> um, but that was not the last of the Snallygaster. It also appeared on the front page of the Washington Post in 1953. <laughs> oh, shit. In the headline, Gorilla Like Beast Seen Roaming Woods Near Elkton. In Maryland's Snallygaster country. (laughs) So, obviously this was kind of like a well-known myth, I guess, in Maryland or the environs of D.C. But it turns out that the Snallygaster came up in the news at some very opportune moments. In fact, the Snallygaster may have been created to scare freed slaves. Oh my god, what? Yes, So, remember I told you about that guy, Bill Griffin, who got attacked by a snallygaster and then it sucked all its blood out? Yeah, I was going to ask, like, was there a body or something? Yes. Well, he was black. Okay. And the headline on the first story was, the colored people are in great danger. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, And this is... This is uh, really reminiscent of a different cryptid that was also gaining popularity in the swamps of Florida. That one was called the Snolly Goster. Oh, my God. And it lived in swamps and had reportedly impaled a slave on the run. So 
I actually found a book from 1910 that talks about the Snollygoster. And I think I just have to read it to you. This was written by William T. Cox, who um, was Minnesota's first state forester and commissioner of conservation. He wrote a book called Fearsome Creatures of the Lumberwoods with a few desert and mountain beasts. Okay, the Snollygoster. In the cypress swamps of the south, and particularly in the region about Lake Okeechobee, Florida, woodmen tell of a strange and dangerous animal known as the Snollygoster. This creature is of enormous proportions and is credited with a voracious appetite. Worst of all, its appetite is only appeased by the eating of human beings. In the form of the Snollygoster resembles a huge crocodile, but it is covered with long glossy fur and has no legs or fins except one long spike on its back. A person naturally wonders how such an animal can manage to travel through the water and mud of the swamp region where it lives, but nature has provided it with a means for driving itself along. On the end of its tail are three bony plates, much resembling the propeller on a steamboat. Oh my god. These revolve at a terrific rate, driving the animal like a torpedo boat through the mud. Okay, then get this. They serve other purposes as well. For when a snollygoster catches an unfortunate, and I'm going to insert my own language here because it's offensive, uh, an unfortunate child escaped slave, or even a full-grown escaped slave, upon which it delights to feed, it tosses the victim up and backwards so as to impale him on the spike fin, where several may be carried until sufficient for a meal have been collected. Yes, and this guy quotes a slave catcher who said that he uh, saw this happen to someone. He saw this happen to an escaped slave. So this was almost certainly created just to scare the bejesus out of slaves who were thinking of running away. And then it turns out that the guy who reported the Snallygaster like moving through Ohio yeah. towards Maryland was actually a contributor to the Middletown Valley Register. He was reported as a source, but actually he, like, helped run the newspaper. <laughs> okay. um, yes. So Susan Fair in Mysteries and Lore of Western Maryland writes, But really, the folks of Western Maryland deserve recognition. All it took was one little story and local residents, not to mention reporters and editors of competing newspapers, were ready to release their inner monsters, collaborating on a creation that gleefully took on a life of its own. You can hardly blame folks for wanting to be distracted, too, because there was something else scary making its way around Western Maryland in 1909 besides stories of giant flying monsters. Maryland State Tuberculosis Sanatorium opened in Frederick County that year. If you had the disease and wanted to be admitted, you only had to be three things. A resident of Maryland, not a hopeless case, and white. Fuck. So, um, I thought this was really interesting because nowadays we talk about fake news. Um, but, man, fake news is pretty rampant back in the day, too, and drummed up to scare the shit out of people. And I was reading about another cryptid, actually, that some researchers studied to, to kind of examine why people kind of coalesce around these cryptid myths. And this one was called the Enfield Monster. Um, 
in the early 70s, there was this town in Illinois, Enfield, that started publishing reports about an alleged UFO. Um, and, of course, all the local newspapers reported on it. It even made national news, yada, yada, yada. But um, these researchers uh, went to Enfield shortly after um, the reports started coming out and talked to a bunch of people to see if they could study what they called social contagion. Mm-hmm. And they um, they kind of uh, they kind of elaborated on this theory and they said that there are three elements of social contagion based on this one case study. One, there's unverified and unusual sensory experiences. Two, um, people get mobilized. And three, there are mass preoccupations. So these are like the features of social contagion. So they write, when they talk about the unusual sensory experiences, what they found was that there, were, there was really only one person who called in a newspaper with the report of what he supposedly saw. And then... Um, a radio reporter went out into the community like a national radio reporter came into Enfield to start interviewing the town residents or whatever. And a lot of the other reported sightings um, came from this reporter's uh, piece, which cited a kid saying, oh, yeah, I totally saw this monster, too. But when the researchers followed up with the kid, he was like, oh, yeah, I was totally making that up. I just wanted to mess with this out of town reporter. Oh, my God. (laughs) So um, that report turned out to be an ill-advised practical joke. Um, He reported that the monster tore his shoes. Um, But this was like a weird, unusual sensory experience. Then they write on mobilization, the convergence of people toward or dispersal from scenes of unverified and unusual sensory experiences, the formation of vigilante groups and the gathering and subsequent movements of celebrating or hostile throngs of people has have been cited as evidence of social contagion. So which the so with the Enfield monster out once all these reports started getting out, um, one of them was just a kid trying to fuck with a reporter. <laughs> There were five guys who showed up with guns, like, trying to hunt the monster down. Oh, my God. Um, And they were arrested, but it turns out they were drunk. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then there's mass preoccupation. And this is the idea that through media, like, the public can become fixated on an idea. Yeah. And the researchers write... uh, Face-to-face and electronically mediated communication systems can disseminate vast amounts of information, fiction, trivia, and important news to large numbers of people in short periods of time. Given the existence of such effective communication systems in the United States, it is problematic to view the rapid and widespread dissemination of reports of events as a distinctive feature of social contagion. Rather, the rapid and widespread dissemination of information is a pervasive feature of contemporary social life. So, they end up concluding... We did not interpret these events as evidence that everyone, quote, took leave of their senses or abandoned the forms of conduct that usually are employed in dealing with more familiar problems. The processes of notification of events that accompanied the monster reports were analogous to the sights, sounds, and media announcements that accompany street accidents, civil disorders, sports rallies, and public meetings. We acknowledge that people's behavior with respect to strange millennial movements and reports of monsters, flying saucers, and flying saucer abductions traditionally have been assigned to the back wards of sociological investigation. When discussed, these events are casually attributed to the workings of social contagion. 
In contrast, we suggest that the events of this order occur quite frequently in all parts of the United States and are constituted by processes common to other more familiar social phenomena. So they basically said, while this may seem weird, it's always happening. Mm -hmm. Social contagion is constantly happening. And while, you know, we may only pay attention to it when there are monster reports and, and pay attention to how they spread, like people do this shit all the time. So, yeah, NBD. I mean, this is like this is the same as like satanic panic or like fears of like a crime wave when you don't actually have crime in your neighborhood mm -hmm. or like literally everything that we talk about on the show where people just like can't help themselves but get like swept up and you know something that I think has also been shown in research that we've talked about is that people relate more to something that is like surprising or you know they they latch on to news that seems surprising rather mm -hmm. than things that seem average and everyday so something that scares you like you're more likely to be talking about it among your friends or whatever even if it's total fucking bullshit totally and the thing that I came away I mean when I first started looking at, into this I was like the snallygaster <laughs> what the fuck is that this is so outlandish but by the end of it I, I was like oh Whatever the Snallygaster actually represents is something that's happening all the time. Right. We're, we're constantly lying to ourselves or exaggerating or disseminating, you know, slightly misleading information. And it doesn't even have to be fake news. Like, it can be TV news in a lot of cases that play right. up a claim with very thin evidence, you know, or a trend piece that has three things and, right. and nothing else to support it. Or um, all the terrible opinion pieces that rely on very shoddy evidence and are mostly based on people's Anecdotes. biases. Yeah. 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 So um, it actually, while this maybe should ma have made me depressed, it gave me some hope. I'm like, I kind of came away with from it with like a nihilist perspective. Like, oh, nothing matters. <laughs> Reality is what you make it. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm a fact checker. I uh, don't believe that. Well... <laughs> No, things matter. Okay. Our friendship matters. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I, I do think things matter. I think the takeaway from this is just to be aware of social contagion in all its forms. And that's not to say that all social contagion is bad, right? Like, activist movements rely mm. on social contagion. Black Lives Matter marches rely on social contagion. It's not a condemnation of social contagion. It's just a recognition that humans are kind of drawn to mass preoccupations and mobilizing around information that they find interesting or shocking or of value. Well, and the fact that one of them at least felt deliberately designed to scare people in a yes. marginalized community is like evidence that social contagion is not always like accidentally happening while we're not paying attention it no. can be used intentionally right yeah very deliberate it's it was a monster of society's making right well anyway the snallygaster died in a vat of moonshine in 1932 <laughs> well, so we don't so have to worry think. about it anymore so we think you're right yeah. i don't know what happened to the snally ghoster <laughs> i hope it also died in a vat of moonshine This has been another episode of Trust Issues. Please send us your ideas for future episodes. You can hit us up at trustissuespod or trustissuespod at gmail.com. 
or look at our website. It's pretty cool. We have trustissues.com. See you next week.